We who are about to die salute you. How's it going, everybody? We are back to discuss the 28th episode of Strike Force Moratory here at Moratory Mondays. Only got a few episodes left of the show proper before we hop into the uh, the electric undertow and beyond. So uh, I figure we should enjoy it while we've got it. Um, now, before we get into the issue, uh, we do want to announce that uh, next week we're going to be bringing back uh, a feature that we'd uh, sort of kind of retired, I guess. Um, not... Uh, not with a whole lot of pomp and circumstance, we just sort of, uh, it's just sort of fell to the wayside for a bit. Uh, and that is the Pitch Force Moratory. And this is going to be a very special Pitch Force Moratory that we think you'll all want to check out because uh, we might just have someone special to discuss something. And it's probably nobody you're thinking about right now. So uh, that'll be interesting. Um, as always, it's uh, both Chris is here to talk. So uh, how are you doing, other Chris? Oh, just one moment. I'm finishing up a call here, Chris. Just one. What what'd you say? It's your Columbia house? No. Wait. No. Wait, uh, wait. No. One second. How did one they second. get your number? One moment, Chris. One moment. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, no. No, Chris Bailey. No, no. Me no speak no English. No, Chris Bailey. No. No. Thank you. Bye. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. These guys, you Oof. know. I don't know that, that that Chris Bailey dude. He's in a lot of shit. So I'll tell you. Moving forward, he's no, on, he's on some money. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, man, doing great. Ready for episode twenty-eight of uh, Moratory Mondays here, and of course, like you said, Pitch Force Moratory returns next week, and uh, we got something special lined up. So we're gonna go picture some of your favorite and maybe some of your most curious cartoons you've ever heard of launched from the 80s and some you know all kinds of different stuff around the horn and you never know some special special things are planned for the next two episodes so uh this is where it gets good chris we're in the home stretch only three episodes to go after this one and uh, i cannot wait to talk moratory absolutely so let's hop right on in this is of course strike force moratory number 28 had an april 1989 cover date the story is called The Ghost, The Tiger, and The Wind. And it was written by James D. Hudnell, pencils by Mark Bagley, inks Val Myrick, letters Phil Felix, colors Max Scheel, edits Carl Potts, the chief is the Falco. This one had a cover price of $1.50 USD, two solid dollars Canadian, and 50 P's in the UK. And according to Mike's Amazing World, this one hit the racks on December 6th, 1988. So... We've been in 1989 cover dates for a little while, but we're still in 1988. You want to know now, a weird factoid about this issue? What was that? You know that despite this one being on the direct market, that mm-hmm. I picked this one up on the newsstand. Really? Yes, sir. I don't know if it got misbundled or or whatever, but uh, this one ended up on my pharmacy <laughs> spinner rack. You know, that's interesting because uh, 
You know, at the end of this episode, we usually talk about ads. And uh, what we've done for the last several weeks is we've had to go to different Marvel comics because the ads in Moratori were all house ads. With ah. this issue, we've got real ads again. So I wonder if maybe this one just fell into the wrong pile and uh, wound up going to newsstands uh, accidentally. It was weird because I had, you know, after I think it was issue, was it issue 18, 19 or 20? It was one of those where they hit direct market. I can't remember which one it was, but or maybe even a little bit earlier. But anyway, I had managed to collect those. I don't know, like I bought those at a comic book store after the fact. Mm -hmm. So I didn't realize that they weren't on my spinner rack until, you know, issue 20. So I knew that every other issue from there was, you know basically released in a comic book store which i didn't know as a kid i just thought you know the <laughs> life had given up on this comic and it didn't exist i had no idea <laughs> it was still going at the time but uh yeah this one was on my spinner rack and i was like what this is like seven That's issues weird. later like where are the other six <laughs> i was half pissed yeah. off to be quite honest with you but <laughs> yeah, was, where, where's my cast at where are the characters <laughs> i know who are I, these people yeah boy did i was i in where's the shock? horde yeah <laughs> Now, we do have a solicit for this issue that doesn't necessarily ruin what's to come, so we can go into it here. It says, there's good news for the moratory. Dr. Tulema has found a cure to the fatal process that gave them their powers, but they may never get a chance to try it out because the latest generation of moratory are out to kill their predecessors. Such a clunky, clunky uh, couple of sentences there, but uh, I guess it gets the point across just as well. (laughs) Now, we do have a we have a pretty striking cover here. Now, this cover, it shows our new uh, killer moratories here, but it's kind of framed in the old uh, giant size X-Men number one sort of way here. We've got our new killer moratory, who are, of course, the ghost, the tiger and the wind. They burst through and tear through the cover, which depicts our fifth gen team plus Brava. Oh, listen, I, I really I really like this cover. You know, I'm a real <laughs> sucker for that uh, giant size X-Men style bursting through the cover. And I know I've oh, said sure. that a hundred times, but, uh, you know, even like a like a Justice League number one, you know, that style of cover. Remember the, uh, the you know, the, yeah, the Bwahaha era, you know what I mean? That cover and giant size X-Men. I love seeing homages to both of those type of things. So this one, you know, this one right away caught my attention. And one thing that really strikes me is that. You know, you get to see the tiger, the wind, and the ghost bursting through the bursting through the page, but you also get to see very good renditions. Probably the best rendition of Bravo's face you'll ever see by Bagley in the background here. So we get to yeah. see Burn, we get to see Scanner, Brava, Lifter, and our good man Revenge. And of Bravo. note on this. Of note on this issue, check out that corner box. So it's a very awkward corner box. So, you know, signature head. So if you've seen a mm-hmm. uh, Marvel corner box in the top, you know, left-hand corner of your uh, your comic book, usually, it, you know, it'll have the Marvel banner. Then we'll probably have, like, a character or a series yeah. of characters and heads. This one has both. So it has three <laughs> floating heads. Uh, would they? So would they have Scanner? You know, up mm-hmm. in the left-hand corner. On the right-hand corner, you have uh, good old Lifter. Uh, then we have Revenge, who's the, his whole body. It shows his whole body, and yep. he's got his his fist clenched and power seeping out of it. And between his legs, <laughs> and I don't know his if that was intentional. Poor Yoko. Is poor Yoko. Good old Burn is uh, is right between his legs. And you know what? Was that a uh, was that a little bit of a surprise because she hit on. Good old revenge. And now she's between his legs on this cover. So I don't know what that says. 
you never know. <laughs> now, that that is an interesting corner box, though. I, I I always have to like do a double double look at them because uh, all the corner boxes that I have are the ones that I've erased because uh, we always stick our own little silly thing yes. in the corner box. So I I don't really pay much attention to them anymore. So it's a it's pretty interesting to take a look. It also but, looks uh, like like revenge is bearing down and passing. Uh, burn through his ass. <laughs> it's true. He is he is passing. Yes, he is passing. Poor burn through his his colon and and sphincter. Uh, now we open up here and uh, we are in Atlanta and we are on board the super train. Super train. Boy, I, I love saying that. I, I hope I can continue saying that for the next few issues. What do you Forever think? Evermore. Yes, I Ever hope so. I, I'm I'm confident. I'm confident. Yeah, yeah. What could possibly um, happen? What could possibly happen to the super <laughs> Now uh, we are here and we catch up with our new pal, Tam Von Ock, the ghost. Now, uh, if you remember last issue, we left him. He was pretty conflicted. It almost seemed like he was uh, maybe thinking about, you know, joining the good guys. Uh, no such luck. Uh, he's no longer all that conflicted here uh, because he's secretly on board the train, you know, being invisible like he does. And he's killing dudes left and right. Yeah, man, he re- he's really cleaning house here. So he, he looks like he kills right away. So he jumps aboard the super train and he attacks the guys who are running it, the drivers, basically. So one guy, yeah. he punches him right in the heart. And I mean, he, I don't know, he looks like he blasts his heart out through his back. He hits him that hard. He looks like that janitor that you've seen in every school that you've ever been to. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. And then you have an African-American gentleman who's also driving the train and he gets a throat punch for his efforts. And both of these guys crumble to the floor you know, don't even know what hit him. And standing over them looming is the ghost, Mr. Tam Van Ock. And he looks great. And he's central to the story. You know, he's my favorite yeah. moratory killer so far. And I mean, you know, I think the creative team, I think it's it's their favorite as well, because he seems to be, compared to the other two, in about 75% more actual panels <laughs> or, than the other two. So he almost had an entire issue to himself. And he starts this issue with a bang here. So... I don't know. Looks like it could be problematic for the Pidea if this guy ever goes south on him. But looks like he's back in form here. So he's back in killer mm. mode and he's coming after the Moratory. Absolutely. Now we shift scenes to Barcelona and we meet up with Brava. And she has just baked some cookies for her papa. Now, as she enters the living room with her steaming tray of baked goods, Papa Dominica uh, is hurled across the room by an unseen assailant. And the poor old dude is absolutely wrecked. He looks <laughs> he looks worse than poor Randy on the cover of uh, that issue a few episodes ago. He is just destroyed. Now, Brava comes in close, and uh, you know before she knows it, she is whacked in the back of the head by a clubbing blow. And this clubbing blow was courtesy of the tiger. Ah, the tiger has now taken out Brava's father. And I mean, no stranger to killing, as we've seen in his mm-hmm. early appearances and all that stuff. He doesn't care who he's killing. Women, no. children, it does not matter. This guy is definitely not afraid to get blood on his hands, okay? So when you talk about killer moratory, this the tiger guy is probably the most, uh, I would say, callous and cold out of the entire bunch. Mm-hmm. Because we've seen him, like, murder legions of people, you know what I mean? Uh, sure. No, he's he's doing it in the name of his uh, his people and his God and all that type of stuff. So, you know, to him, maybe he's not doing a bad thing. But, man, he does some ass-kicking here. Brava's father. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that scene for a second. You said he looked sure. wrecked. 
Now there's oh, three, yeah. there's there's a series of three panels. So when we see Bravo's father, he's down at the bottom and he's lying flat on his back. His eyes are rolled back in his head, and you know his hand is up and it's clenched like he's just been really torn apart. Now Bravo's running towards him in one of the worst. And I mean, worst perspective shots you'll ever see. She's got her <laughs> hand out. He's got her hand out raised, you know, at reach or whatever. And she's yelling, Papa. And then this next panel, um, Brava looks like spirit iron knife from G.I. Joe here in the next panel. <laughs> and she's getting whacked. <laughs> like these these three panels, you know, uh, this is this is where my my, uh, you know, Your destruction hand. of Bagley comes in. Here Bagley. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is some bad series of three panels. And then, of course, you get to see the tiger who looks exactly like I said he did. You know, he looks like the great tiger from uh, Mike Tyson's punch. Out. Punch out. So, yep. But boy, does uh, Brava get whacked here. I mean, you know, even even hits her so hard. She looks like Spirit Iron Knight from G.I. Joe. I mean, that's a hard hit, brother. <laughs> yeah, he was not messing around. Uh, now, before we get any kind of confirmation here, we head back to Atlanta and we meet up with Revenge. Now, he's not on the train, but he's on the platform. He's taking in the adulation of his fans. Now, after signing a bunch of autographs and uh, being uh, propositioned by some uh, pretty young things, uh, Jason decides to head back inside the super train. Super train! And, yeah, he's back in there, I guarantee you, which is a good idea. And I like Mm -hmm. this scene because, you know, it's a lot of what's missing from this generation of Moratori. You know, think about – think about – uh, you know, the first generation we've seen and even, you know, generation three. I mean, they had all kinds of exposure. You know what I mean? They were on talk shows. They were doing the rounds. So it was good to see they revenge had their own soap here. opera. Yeah. Yes, they had their own soap opera. It was awesome. And it's good to see Bravo or revenge here, I should say. Like he's almost like the Hulk Hogan of the group and he's loving his mm-hmm. new role. So he's signing autographs. He's digging it the most. You know, this is the guy who was locked away on a hoardian vessel, you know, crapping himself in diapers for God knows how long. And now he's like this superhero on Earth, you know what I mean? The people love this guy, and he's jacked. I mean, this guy, he kicks some serious ass. So when you talk about a guy who, you know, could be a leader and maybe has no choice after this issue, but uh, (laughs) this is the guy to step up, you know what I mean? So it was great to see, you know, this touch of celebrity here. It's good to see it back. Oh, for sure, for sure. Now, out of the corner of his eye, he notices something strange. Just then, he gets whacked and thrown into a nearby dumpster. Now, as the dust and garbage clears, we can see who his attacker is, and it is the wind. Now, the wind is the least impactful of all three here. And, you know, he (laughs) he does manage to do a Pearl Harbor job because I don't think if the, uh, you know, if the wind actually came close to revenge, I think that revenge would, you know, tie this guy into a knot and spit him out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, and as I always point out, despite that he has this, you know, plastic surgery to repair his face or hide his identity, he's still fully masked for reasons we cannot answer here on this show. It's above our pay grade, sadly. (laughs) But I'll tell you what. I, I, I guess, and I got to use headcanon here because I got to explain my way why this even makes sense. So what I'm thinking is, think about the Flash. So the guy can run, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? His body, you know, is morphed into, you know, being able to handle, you know, just the endurance and what it takes. You know, his body can survive. It can, you know, metabolize and, you know, take all sure. this impact. But this guy, I don't think he has this stuff. So, you know, does this mask help him breathe while he's running for fast periods of time? You know what I mean? Does it could, assist yeah, him? Yeah, it in could some? be. So that, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, it looks like gills a little bit. 
it that's looks what I mean. like a filtration. Yeah, I think you might be onto something for and sure. And I think that's exactly what I took out of this mask. But, you know, does it have its own powers? Does he have weapons or is he just super fast? Well, we don't know, but we got questions. Questions, people. <laughs> we really like to know. Uh, now, while the killer moratories stand over their assorted prey, which this is our title page here, we have three, you know, long, tall panels of each of our killers standing over their uh, their fallen uh, victims. We shift scenes over to the Padilla, where fake-ass Lamont is giddily explaining the situation to some of his fellow bigwigs. And I like that. You like that we see the killer moratorium. I mean, each one has their own panel where they're claiming victory over their fallen mm-hmm. moratorium, you know what I mean? But it's interesting to note that Tam Van Ock, who, you know, has that crisis of conscience, he's killed people, but it's not the moratorium. He's killed yeah. some drivers. You know what I mean? So you get, you know, the wind. He's standing over um, standing over revenge. You have the tiger and he's standing over Brava and his, you know, decrepit <laughs> used to be former papa. father. Yes. Pa- poor, poor Papa. Broken Papa is all over the floor here. <laughs> but you get to see Tam Van Ock and he's just standing over the dead drivers. So, you know, the other have significant upper hands against the moratory. You know, the big guns, too. I mean, Brava and Revenge, you know, the powerhouses of the unit. For sure. And Tam Van Ock has just, you know, just killed a couple drivers. So. A couple of civilians. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I'm still not convinced he's a bad dude. I, I want to believe that he's going to go all uh, master of kung fu and save, our, save us. Save us, Tam Van Ock. <laughs> You're our only hope. I, I hope so. I hope so, too. I, I like uh, he really grew on me after last issue where we got that co- conflicted uh, that phone call into the Padilla where he where he lied to his uh, superiors. I, I like yep. that a lot. He's rogue. now uh, for sure. Now, back to uh, fake ass Lamont. He explains that the killers will kill the moratory and the prime minister as part of a like an unrest operation. They're, Aunt they're May. doing this. Aunt May will die. <laughs> Poor Aunt May. Uh, now, this is all an attempt to cause the general public to, you know, kind of freak out and all that. Now, Fig S. Lamont is certain that with Aunt May out of the way, he is a shoe-in for the spot as King of the Wild. Now, Junzo, what's his face? That uh, the Japanese, uh, what is he? An inv- not an inventor. I think he's an industrialist. Industrialist. Now, yeah. he wishes that they, could, yeah, he wishes that they could capture the deaths, the deaths of the moratorium on video. Because he's pretty sure they'd sell a whole bunch of vid discs. <laughs> so before I get into that little spiel, uh, I would like to say, remember the other issues when, you know, you, you had to show what each each of these characters did. And they come up with a creative way, whether it's making breakfast or stopping a train or, you know what powers I mean? Powers in tandem. Yes. yes. They'd always show a scene where everybody was using their powers in tandem and explaining what each character does. Well, this creative team just takes a shortcut and they show a picture of them. And they show a little profile a yep. of exactly what these people do. So it's almost like a who's who entry or, a, you know, a uh, Marvel universe. Yeah. yeah, an old hot <laughs> move. Yeah, exactly. So I, I kind of like it, to be quite honest with you, because, you know, like I said, if this is someone's first issue or your second issue, depending on when you jumped on, it's good to know this stuff. So you didn't sure. get the cheese. saves hey, pages. Yeah, yes, yes, pages is right. We didn't need to see them making breakfast with revenge's powers and lifter lifting the frying pan and burn, you know, cooking the bacon. Like we didn't need to see that, you know what I mean? <laughs> but what I'll do, like back to the story. So we're talking about selling vid discs. So think about it. Mm-hmm. The government is now, you know, part of an underground video market. So on this earth, the government is looking to get a piece of the pie. They're looking to go underground. Uh-huh. So you know. How much does one make off one disc? If you had to sell something, 
you know, how much are you making off these discs? But the only thing I guess that that would be of value here is that it's the actual footage of the death of Moratori. So, you know, you might get that curiosity pop, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it also has, you know, it assumes that we have 100% visibility into the kills, meaning they had they had to have cams, like in areas like Brava's house. You know, they had to have mm-hmm. cam footage of like on the super train, which I'll give them. You know, that makes sense. It is a moratory type of thing. But why would you have cam footage in Brava's house? Think about it. It's if true. you're making a video of the death of these people, you already had Brava's house wired so you could take video of this? Maybe I'm being I, the... I, uh, well, yeah. I, I wonder if that's maybe that's something they sign away. Maybe that's good. We, we heard probably like six or seven issues ago, or actually it was before Gillis and Anderson left, um, that they signed contracts. This is when remember they were court martialed and uh, and Pilar was uh, no, not Pilar. Ruth was like standing up for the team and they're like, hey, you signed contracts. It's not our fault you didn't read them. So maybe, maybe that's part of it. Yeah, maybe, maybe, just maybe. Once, like you said, you signed the contract. You're on Big Brother. You know, your mm-hmm. Julie Chan is waiting for you mm-hmm. every single week. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, here you go, house guest. Good night. Yeah. You have no Watch. privacy anymore. You have no. Yeah, maybe they. Maybe you're right. Maybe that's what's happening here, and that's how they're getting this footage. Or maybe the the, the killer moratories have to record their kills to prove. Yeah, maybe they're know? wearing Google Glass. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes there you go that's a that's a quality piece of merchandise there i guarantee you well, but it's funny when you're talking about like the uh like the underground video market i remember vividly you know growing up that you know getting that that uh you know hidden vhs tape of recorded shows and all that was a huge thing oh, i yeah. recall getting the star wars holiday special and man you you could have sworn you had the second coming of jesus put on a vhs tape because <laughs> Myself and my friends, we could not believe it. It was like holding the Ark or something, Ark of the Covenant. We couldn't believe it. We're like, oh, my God, this thing actually exists, and we're going to yep. watch it. Now, two and a half hours later, we weren't we weren't, we weren't, weren't saying that. Yeah, we were ready to tear our eyes out, you know, gouge yourself in the throat. I don't know, but, uh, you know, getting that rare piece of video that was always cool. As a wrestling fan, RF Video, I mean, they would film oh, house yeah. shows for ECW, mm-hmm. Ring of Honor, and all this stuff. Just fascinating, just getting that glimpse of, you know, my God, they have this on video, you know what I mean? I can see, you know, Excalibur win the first Ring of Honor championship. It's hilarious that you'd have this stuff. But mm-hmm. stuff that I would get into, like anime. So we I couldn't get shows like, you know, Saber Rider and the Star Sheriff. So one of my buddies would tape trade and get this stuff, and you'd always see it. And that's how I got to see Doctor Who, for better or for worse. You know, okay. I'll, I'll, yeah, that's, that's how I originally got into it. Someone had tapes of it now i had heard about it because i used to read Starlog and different books like that so i knew of these shows but i've never seen them and then all of a sudden you have them you got these underground videos so i guess it would be the same pop you'd get from i don't know seeing people die like snuff videos or something i don't know weird but listen there's there's a there's a market for everything i don't know i'm not here to judge people it's true i remember uh growing up we had like basic cable and like there was always the the people on the block or the one person on the block who had the the black box you know oh yeah and hell uh, yeah and and you would get the uh like they would tape something for you and and you'd get it and and you'd see like this weird channel that you don't get you know so you were getting like this like piece of like forbidden footage uh <laughs> just so much fun uh, i mean that's something that we just don't have anymore um my uncle Our, used to used to have the uh, the gigantic satellite dish. Now you oh, guys, the are, whole backyard, yeah, yeah, the entire backyard, like you know NASA level, you know mm-hmm. massiveness. So we used to get Sky Sports. Okay, so from uh, the UK. We, 
from the UK and they used to have the WWE pay-per-views for free. For free. So we used yes. to go to his house, you know, three or four times a year and we check out and, and good thing you only had the big, you know, the big three or four pay-per-views. That's all you had to worry yeah. about. But we used to watch them and it was live and it was uncensored. So you'd get like all the different things like the, there was no commercial break. It was just a straight live feed and you see the timer on the screen and oh, it was just like a secret world, man. It was so good. Yeah, we had I had an aunt who uh, had one of those big dishes and uh, like we would just flip through the weird channel. Like we got a uh, there was a Japanese channel um, that was like it was like the Food Network. But before the Food Network, this is like in the mid 80s. Oh. So it was just Japanese cooking shows, and it was just like the weirdest, most uncomfortable thing in the world because you feel like you weren't supposed to be seeing it. <laughs> it's like, and you didn't understand a lick of it, but it was still like just so captivating because it was just so different from uh, what you'd ever see on regular television. It's like when you flip through the uh, the old the UHF dial, you know, the the oh. dial with all the the channels on it underneath the the thirteen channels, and like. On like the weird night where you'd actually get one to tune in. Oh man, it was the scariest and most exciting thing in the world. <laughs> they were because it was, you know, it would never be super clear. You know what I mean? It no. would always have like some sort of distortion. And sometimes sure. like if the video was clear, sometimes the audio wouldn't be crisp or the, or, or, yeah. or the opposite. You know what I mean? So you had this muffled, but I mean, listen, some things you uh, you didn't care what it was. You just you just you were watching something that nobody else could see or that you were yeah. going to watch, and this was the first and only time you were ever going to see this stuff. So it was just entrancing. So I loved oh, it. I was totally. huge. Yeah, and, and in in like I remember like in either in junior high or high school, that's when uh, like Faces of Death became a thing. And the, the, hearing about the, the you know the Padilla trying to film Death here. That was like our first taste of – even though so much of it was staged and so much of it was like archival news footage. So it was never exactly what the uh, the rumor and innuendo led it to be. Like I remember the first time you heard of Faces of Death, it was like, oh, you're following people around who kill people. You know, I don't, or I don't know what faces. I don't know what faces of death is. Go ahead, explain. Oh, okay. it's a series of videos that came out probably mid '90s, early mid '90s, and it like the whole thing was it was based on shock because you're gonna see things, you're gonna see people die, you're gonna see uh, animals die. I never saw one because that the, the the idea of that really creeps me out, and I think that's something that you can't unsee. But uh, I remember it was such a huge thing going around the school, and that would be a tape that people would uh, would hand off around the school. And it never failed because, like, when people saw it, like, their opinion of it changed, and it wasn't so cool anymore. It was like – it was like, oh, that, was actually, that was actually pretty lame. <laughs> some, some things are better left to your head, Canon. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's uh, – I, I remember like thinking about wanting to see one and then just like, no, nah, I noped out of it. But uh, I, I, you can come across stuff like that online accidentally. Um, like if someone accidentally sends you the uh, the Bud Dwyer video. Uh, have you ever seen that? No, I don't know. Explain. Now, Bud Dwyer was a he was a politician and uh, he was he was caught up in some charges that I, I think he was ultimately absolved of after his death. But uh like there's film of him being interviewed coming out of the courthouse and this is all like on live television and he tells everybody to step away from him and uh and people like are like what are you talking about and he pulls a gun out of his oh briefcase and he's like I'm not going to hurt anybody just everybody step away he puts it in his mouth 
and and he he does the thing. And this was all oh, captured live my. on video. Oh and, boy. Uh, and I mean, it's not something that's hard to find. I wouldn't recommend looking for it because it's something that sticks with you. But somebody sent it to me, and I, I didn't know what it was. And it was a friend of mine. He's like, oh, you got to check this out. And I look at it. I'm like, why did you send me that? I didn't need to see this. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Is it super graphic? It did he have it edited? No, no, it's not. It's, you know, it's, you don't really see a whole lot of gore, but you know what's happening. And oh, it's, no. and it's very, very unsettling. Um, like even right now, like there are uh, found footage uh, groups out there or lost media, uh, uh, you know, uh, fanatics and, uh, uh, investigators, I guess. They're looking... Have you heard of Christine Chubbick? Have no. you ever heard of her? Okay, there are a couple of documentaries about her. She was a newscaster in Florida, I believe, in the 70s. Mm. And she was battling depression, and uh, she did a little segment on the morning show. And uh, one day, she did her segment, and then she says, uh, you know... And now I'm going to show you something you've never seen before, a live attempted suicide. And she shot herself in the head or in the face. And uh, this is something that was live on television. Oh, and no. uh, and to this point, nobody's been able to find it. But there are people scouring looking for it. But this did she actually like a, do it? She actually oh, did yeah. it. Oh, yeah. She did it. She did it. And she passed. So it's oh, uh, very, very strange. And I mean, there's rumor that somebody has it and people are offering them tons of money for it. It's uh, it's boy. pretty crazy. And, and, and uh, you know, one more bit here. You ever hear of Al Goldstein? Oh, God, yes, absolutely. OK, like he was. Uh, what was what was his magazine? It was some sort of a oh, boy, it was some sort of porno magazine that he uh, that he promoted or published. And during the 80s, he had a uh, a one million dollar ransom for for a snuff video. So yes, you remember that? Okay, cool. Yes. And so he was like, he was baiting anybody. He's like, I want to see an actual snuff movie. So and I will give you one million dollars if you can show me a real snuff film. And I don't think anybody ever, you know, uh, you know, cashed in because. I, Back in the 80s, like if you if you have video of someone dying, you're you're gonna get questioned. I think. <laughs> how did he get that? But uh, he, yeah, uh, I, I just checked him out. So he did <laughs> the uh, the weekly tabloid named Screw. <laughs> Screw, that's him. Screw magazine. Screw that's right. magazine. Boy, that that's really right. gets to the point, doesn't it? It does. It's but I did hear it. I did hear that story. Yeah. Oh boy. Yikes. And that. So that, that just seeing the scene here like conjured up so many thoughts of like what a commodity something that this rare and I mean you're dealing with uh, like the biggest celebrities in the world here. But think like about this: story. it's and, sold by the government or the you know yeah the fake government. The government the, 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 the government's involved. Take over the government. Yeah, yikes! Mm. And they're killing basically their own military. They're the ones behind they it. created. Yeah. yeah. Jesus. Exactly. They're manipulating it and they're cashing in. So all those weird thoughts of just like things like faces of death and, and the oddity that is enough is uh it just just came to mind. Um what was that cannibal holocaust where they actually thought it was snuff? Oh and, my uh, god. That is bad. That is bad. It's stuff. brutal. I don't know if it's you've ever brutal. seen Cannibal Holocaust, but it is I saw tragic a bunch of it. watch. Wow. Yes. That's so I know that the, the uh, hell out of me as a kid. Oh, yeah, cannibals are, you know, I'm I'm not scared of, what is it, uh, I'm not scared of 
sharks, snakes, and deep water, but uh, cannibals freak me out a lot because uh, they're, you know, there's there's that weird thought process, you know, it's just the thought that, uh, like, uh, not to keep the tangent going here, but uh, you've heard of Armin Muse, yes, the guy, the the Star Trek fan who, (laughs) who, yes, who, uh, yeah, he put an ad out to eat somebody and somebody answered it, and uh, (laughs) and they did it, and that they filmed that too. Oh so, uh, my God! What a bunch of morons! I mean, you, there's there, there are people for everything in this world, sir, and I'm glad I'm not one of them. So there you no go. No doubt about it. But uh, back to the story here. We uh, shift scenes back onto the train where our man Dan the Scan is chatting up Lifter and Burn. Now the gals don't think that our Dan really cares for them, and so he finally decides to reveal what Will Deguchi told him during their mental visit a few months ago. Which is you long overdue, whole, if you ask me. Jeez. No doubt. Now, this is that whole don't trust the new ones thing that Will passed on to Dan. Only Will, he didn't specify who or what the new ones actually were before he, you know, died. Or allegedly died. We don't know yet. Now, Lifter and Burn, they're happy to learn this. And uh, they don't quite take it quite as personally as I probably would have if I were in their position. I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like screw you, pal. Um Actually, we find out here that old Burns got the hot pants for Scanner, and she even goes so far as to ask him out on a date. Now, before he can answer, the train begins to move. I'll answer for him. Don't do it, Dan! (laughs) Because, brother, we all know how dating works out in this book. I mean, how did he catch her eye without even... I mean, he didn't even have a mustache, so how did he Uh, capture her eye? I mean, he he has no facial hair in this particular book. Now, we know that that changes a little bit later, but... uh, Oh, man. It seems... It finally seems, here in 1989, that we're finally starting to leave the era of men's facial hair. Maybe, thank God, hopefully. Who knows? But it seems to be fading away, thank God, because it seemed like we were in a, a 1970s porn dream there for a while. I don't know. We, we were in Crisis of Infinite Tom Selleck's there for a bit. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, definitely. You know, as soon as anybody expresses that they have love for another person, that's usually all they wrote. <laughs> Bye. See ya. Now, now we, uh, we see that the train has started to move here, and it's because the ghost is putting his plan and, of course, the train into motion. Now, the, the gimmick is that the train's got to get to a bridge that's set to blow up to further make this assassination appear to be a just a terrorist attack, which, I mean, either way, it still kind of is, right? Absolutely. Think about it, though. Like, who are the actual terrorists in this book? Like, it's so we know it's not the Hordians because clearly they're gone. You know, it was alluded to when we saw the, you know, them courting the tiger for the, you know, the killer moratory project that he was part of a terrorist organization or that he was technically a terrorist per se, we'll say. But, Mm -hmm. you know, so I assume that, you know, every government pinning stuff on the Middle East is like a card that they're still using at this time. You know what I mean? Because he's the only terrorist that they've, uh, you know, they've not so subtly alluded to in this particular book. So it still goes, still goes back to there. Yeah. Yeah, and I think also, like, since the Horde is gone and we don't have a boogeyman yet, we don't have an enemy. Uh, all we have are boogeymen, I guess. We don't have an enemy. So if there is yep. this, this random terrorist attack, that's going to further foment uncertainty in, the in like, the civilians. They're just going to be like, well, who's Indeed. after us now? Who Who is this? What's going on? And then, uh, you know, they're going to just have more faith in the Padilla because the Padilla is going to promise them safety. And it's a... Uh, 
it's it's a real good uh you know Ouroboros here, a snake eating its tail. Who um, who watches the Watchmen, brother? Who watches no the Watchmen? Doubt. There you go. No doubt. Now Byrne and Scanner flirt some more as they head to the front of the train. Inside the control room, Byrne and Lifter discover dead guys. And the ghost <laughs> <laughs> the ghost sneaks up behind them and is about to go in for the kill. Well, I sort of love, I like the unease of Van Ock's appearance here. He's almost got like this mm. sense of dread every time he lingers in a room. And, you know, he, he doesn't like barge into a scenery. He sort of stealthily slides and like he slithers, like he's just he in the background. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a real creepazoid. But I, I just love the way he moves. It's like really, really slippery. And, you know, we have the bomb on the train, like with the no driver. I mean, this is like the classic MacGuffin we see in a movie, you know, back in the day. So, I mean, as a kid, this was all new to me, though, and, you know, knowing that my moratoria are rolling along the track to their death while being stalked by this, like, super crazy invisible ninja, this was super <laughs> amazing to me. I loved every bit of this. And, man, this just kept me super wrapped up in this story, even reading it today. And like I said, I bought sure. this one off, off my pharmacy rack, and I, re- I recall reading it, and it was just – it's like a roller coaster. You're like, oh, my God, no, they're going to kill them all in one shot because at this point I was used to, like, all my heroes dying. And now they had yeah. these three bad guys, so I was like, they're not going to kill all the heroes in one shot and just have a bad guy team because that never happened. You know what I mean? So you know, mm. who knows? It could be Thunderbolts. It, it could be Thunderbolts too here, folks, or the original. It could be. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? I loved it. I now dug before, it. Oh, it's it's very very cool scene. now, but before that scene pays off, we head back to Spain for a little bit, and uh, uh, we pop in on Brava and the Tiger as they proceed to beat the hell out of one another. <laughs> You're not wrong there. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. I love the way they go out of their way to show, like, you got to have a claw guy in a group. And I know I talked about this before. <laughs> yep. And Tiger is that claw guy, you know what I mean? But he doesn't have physical claws, so he doesn't have, like, metal spikes coming out of his hands or anything like that. But he's got, like, these almost psionic magical ones, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when he swipes, it's, it gives the illusion that he has claws or tannels, you know what I mean? And he shreds Brava's father's lamp just to show off his powers, you know what I mean? He waves mm-hmm. his hand and he crushes it and it just, you know, cuts the lamp into ribbons just enough to scare brava but bagley doesn't res- you know he doesn't resist showing the illusionary claws around a hand so he's still drawing like a set of claws even though they're not technically there you know you, you got to put the yeah. claws in chris you got to yeah got to it's it's a it's rule f you got to do it <laughs> um now after playing catch with one of those angular future cars they simply decide to lunge at one another Oh, drawing tech and vehicles is just not Bagley strength at all. Uh, you know, mm. I, I, I'm just glad that the characters are looking good because I've just given up yeah. on his uh, on his shapes. He's not a shape guy, Chris. You know, he, no. The, the only thing that I can say is that it's it is in the future. And, you know, you can get away with these angular cars and these weird designs. So I think that he would really struggle if he had to draw, like, vehicles of that particular day. But we, he, he gets a pass here just for the fact that we think we're in another, you know, another world or plane of reality. And, uh, you know, he, he gets a pass based on that. But, you know, his vehicles suck. Let's face it. <laughs> Sorry, Marcus. <laughs> it's it's not as bad as a John Calamy bed, but it's a... <laughs> <laughs> what, that sterile steel steel cloth like uh like bed that does not move regardless if the earth shatters <laughs> revenge thought it was a cube he had to clean you know that's how that's how <laughs> angular it was um now the two we have the tiger and brava they you know lunging at each other and they both get a running start and uh looking like a you know that cutscene that opens up a ninja gaiden they both <laughs> come does. to a, a, 
a violent clash. And it's like one of those scenes where like they pass each other and they're both kind of standing there and you're waiting for one to drop. Yep. And uh, it's here. We see that Brava has been gutted. Uh, now the tiger laughs heartily as, as Dominica slumps to the ground and bleeds out. So uh, sorry, Green Lantern HG. It looks uh, like uh, this might be terminal. Look away, my friend. Look away. All your support of Brava is, ends here, my friend. But wow, like you talk about a stunning death. I, I had no idea that that I, I had no recollection that Bravo physically died in this book, you know, especially at the yeah. hands of a killer moratory. It's interesting, you know, when you think about Tiger, you know, he should have should have had his way with her. You know what I mean? He, like she could have lived a little bit longer. You know, he should have progressed the beat down a little bit further. Like in my played opinion. with her. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like she was just, you know, cut really bad. You think they would have doubled down on that and had him, you know, completely maim her or something like that. Nope. She gets sliced nope. in the guts and she's going to bleed out. And that's how she dies. And this is Brava. This is like, this is like top of the food chain moratory. They're, they're not killing a secondary lifter or a burn. No. They're going for the kill, like the head queen herself, Brava. And it's a real shame. I mean, but one thing I will say, you know, you know, it's he says he mentions in this panel and it's a little weird saying that, you know, he was not going to kill her in the beginning. Yeah, he actually mm-hmm. says that. So, you know, what was his intentions? Was he just going to maim her and make a public show of it? Or, you know, do they have a different agenda? Or, I didn't really get why he was what there. His initial plan was, yeah, because like, he even he, says, like, you left me with no choice. Yeah. But you were going to kill her anyway, according to the Pidea. But it mm-hmm. seems like each one of these guys have their own vision of, uh, you know, what they're going to do. So are they making this up as they go? And did he kill Brava for the simple fact that, you know, it just happened and he really wanted to do it another way or capture her or something? I don't know, but something strange going on here in the neighborhood. Yeah. yeah so if we think about how um, Tolima, he, he compared the killers to the first gen. And he talked about how the first geners were patriotic and, you know, bombastic and so happy to be there. And he says he didn't get that feeling from the killers. They were just uh, they were in their own heads and just doing things their own way. And they they didn't seem to care about anything. So I think I think Tiger here wanted to make a make possible. a statement statement with the so. crap out of, you know, big, tough Brava. But instead, you know, she ended up toying with him a little bit too much and she got her guts torn out. So. No R.I.P. Brava. It's a shame because uh, I really come to like Brava. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was starting to dig her as the leader and she just took leadership out of nowhere because Sheer was a leader one day and all of a sudden Brava just took his place. So, yep. <laughs> rest, rest in peace, our leader. She's gone. Mm-hmm. Now we head back to Atlanta and Revenge and the Wind proceed to beat the hell out of one another. Um <laughs> Now, it looks as though the wind will easily take this battle until Revenge uses his powers to charge up an empty soda can, not entirely (laughs) unlike how Gambit charges his playing cards in the X-Men. Now, when the dust clears, Revenge finds himself all alone in the alley. All that remains of where the wind was standing is like a a schmear, you know, a black schmear. But uh, he's not sure if the wind perished in the blast, though we're, we're betting not. Oh, no. Uh, Jason rushes to the platform, and he sees that the super train... No, not my super train! No! ...is gone. No! No! Well, think about this. Revenge actually gets a victory over a killer moratory. So now we're one-to-one, if you're keeping score, folks. So we had Tiger, mm-hmm. who defeated Brava. 
Now we got Revenge, who just captured the old uh, the old win in the win column here over the wind. So now we got one rubber match remaining, brother, and it's the three-on-one contest between our folks Burn, Lifter, Scanner against Tam Van Ock. Let's see mm. what happens there. Well, let's let's head back to the train, Christopher. Let's back to you at the train, and uh, it <laughs> looks as though <laughs> on the super train. It looks as though the ghost is just about to kill Burn and Lifter when our man Dan the Scan enters the scene, and it turns out he can see. Tam Von Ock. Ah, Daddy yeah. like, Daddy like his powers. Excellent. Scanner's powers render the ghost's invisibility null and void. So, stop us if you heard this one, but from here, Scanner and Ghost proceed to beat the hell out of one another. Uh, <laughs> now, from the lady's point of view, and it's very funny to see, it looks like Dan's just rolling around on the ground having a fit. Um, <laughs> he calls out to Lifter. To use her powers on the fellow that's currently, you know, mounting him. And she's not exactly sure at all what he's talking about, but decides she'll give it the old college try anyway. Now, much to her surprise, she realizes that she is, in fact, lifting something. She Hmm. picks up the mass and hurls it, you know, the mass that is the man, out the train window. And he goes flying like Goofy, skiing off the edge of a cliff. (laughs) You know, I I almost heard the... (laughs) <laughs> as he, as old Tam Von Ock went flying. Uh, now the ghost gathers himself and he watches as the train passes him by. And he realizes that he's going to have to get to the derailment site so he can ensure that these moratori don't survive. Because his original plan was he was hoping to have them dead before the train reached the bomb site. But at this point, you know, a flag was called on that play. And what are you going to do about it? <laughs> I found that point hilarious. I mean, you got this foolproof plan or so we think, you know <laughs> what I mean? I mean, did you even need to kill the drivers? <laughs> no, you didn't. All you had to do was let the let the stupid train cross the cross the tracks. But instead, old Tam Van Ock gets in, you know, gets into a brawl with these people. Why did he even need to be on the train? He just wanted to keep him there, did he? Was that his whole purpose or what, you know? I don't even know why he needed yeah. to be there. If they had this bomb set up, you don't kill the drivers. No, you let them drive it over the train track and blow these people to pieces. You keep everything mm-hmm. on the status quo, on the down low. But instead, he gets it. Now, I'm I'm wondering, is this another distraction? Is this him trying Could to be. trying to prevent or, you know, create an obstacle where these guys can survive? I, do, I don't know, but it's a curious, curious suggestion. So what do you yeah, do? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, because it's not like like – if there were drivers, are they going to see a tiny bomb under the bridge? Probably no. not. No. <laughs> the only person who had a chance of seeing it would be Scanner, and he is sure. in the train. But you know what I mean? Mm. If you're if you're not paying attention and everything is good and you have no Why reason. Why would you be? Yeah. Yeah. If you're you're off guard, all of a sudden things go boom, and all, all Tam Van Ock has to do is just, you know, stand in front of the, the carnage that is the broken train and take a picture and say, yeah, I got him. Check mark. Got him. Done deal. Yep. <laughs> But no, he didn't. Now, he had to take the long road to hell. For sure. Now, uh, we, we head back to the platform in Atlanta, and we rejoin Revenge, who, for the life of him, isn't sure how he'll ever catch up to the train. And then he <laughs> remembers his air de Gucci's. It's, it's got to be the shoes. <laughs> I laugh because these shoes are actually labeled. They say flight they shoes, official <laughs> use only. It's actually written on there. <laughs> In fact, to be quite honest with you, it's the first time that we've seen the Super Train. The Super Train was actually labeled as well on the, on the first appearance yeah. in this book. I think it was called like the Moratory Express or something. 
it was it was yeah, that, that <laughs> that's was, hilarious uh, that was that was Bobby Eaton and uh, Stan Lane. <laughs> ding, 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 <laughs> Love it. Love it. Love that, it. Midnight be a good Express, theme song maybe. for the Super Train. Yeah. Oh, yes. The Midnight Express theme on the Super Train. Now, you know, you can't oh. go wrong there. Woo. Yes, absolutely. Now, we briefly visit with Guy Harding, who's about to board. I believe he's about to board a plane in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he's armed with the information that he learned last issue, and he's ready to share it with the moratory. And, of course, if you didn't listen to last week's show, uh, the news that he has is that there is a potential cure. And also, he's there to warn them about these evil moratori. Now, from here, we shift scenes to the Barcelona airport where Dr. Tulima has arrived to check in with Brava. What he finds, however, is Brava being black-bagged. Because... That's our confirmation. She was murdered. I honestly, I honestly didn't think and and that she was murdered. I I thought that you know she was going to be maimed, but nope, she yeah. did, she did, and she's the last of the generation three. So she survived yeah. a lot longer than than most. You know what I mean? So she was like an independent. Well, you know what? She did take this break, so she still separated herself from the team. So she wasn't 100% yeah. gelled with these new people yet. So she wanted to do her own thing and say goodbye to her dad and have one more thing for in you know in the last year of her life. So, and it's sad that this was the one because you know she had to die on her own. There was no team around her, and you know you had the the uh, the government send send a, city, a series of assassins to kill her. I mean, this is a mm-hmm. bad way to go out. I mean, you know you have those who are sworn to protect us, who are the government. And now they're the next menace in this book. So it's literally oratory no, no against the world. I, I, I thought that the uh, the shorthand they used here was kind of funny. Um, it's like you'll see a TV show where they're like, it's like, oh, I'm going to, uh, you know, they live in San Francisco. So I'm going to go to San Francisco. And like they just go to San Francisco and find somebody. It's like we have Tulima show up <laughs> at the airport and it's like, oh, here's dead Brava. It's like he doesn't have to do anything, but le- he's still in the airport. <laughs> <laughs> they have dead Brava there. It's, <laughs> if only it were that easy to find. It's like, it's like, oh yeah, they they live in they live in New York. I'm just gonna head to New York and uh, find them. It's like what? No. Hudnall was like, okay, Mark, we have three panels to get this over. Go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do the and thing. Ba- and Bagley was like, no, I have to do elastic faces. I need more time. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Mark Bagley impression. I don't know why he's whiny, but I picture him whiny. I don't know why. Ah, elastic faces, Spider-Man. I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to be he, killed. He hates my guts. I know he does. I'm blocked he, he's on gonna, He's going to cancel his appearance on the show next week. <laughs> oh, wait, that, that's Damn not him. No, no. Damn it. Now we hop back to the train and Dan, Yoko, and Fiona are discussing this weird attack. Now they all agree that this invisible man might just be another more Tory because, uh, you know, he's got powers, clearly, and this is a world without superheroes. Now, Dan wonders aloud if this might be one of the new ones that he was warned not to trust. Uh-huh. Just then, the train approaches the bridge that's been wired to blow. Uh, I'm loving, like, the tension and unease that's coming here, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know that this impending doom is upon us, so it's like I wanted to tell you to get them off the damn train. Just get them <laughs> off! It's like I, I just want to yell out to him and go, get off the train, people. You know, it, it just it was just like an adrenaline rush reading this because you know yeah. what's about to hit. And I, I don't want these characters to die. So I'm totally I'm all in reading this one on this page. And then then we turn the page and uh, revenge is uh, he's he's caught up in his air to Gucci's and he's just about to just about to see what's about to go down. He's got a front row seat 
to the proceedings. And uh, our final page wraps up with the bridge going boom. <sighs> and the, the train comes to pieces, goes all cattywampus, and Revenge himself is caught up in the blast. No! <laughs> that's, that's, that's my that's that's my death no by the way it's good i know you don't have to tell me it's great uh, but uh but man the biggest thing about this yes you know you you might have laughed lifter burn and uh and good old scanner but not the super train no oh, the damn super them. train damn them the hell chris <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things around this podcast because of this mm-hmm. damn idea Ah, oh, sucks. Yeah, we're gonna we have to have like the the super trolley next time, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, we find out that the next issue is on the brink of disaster, and we get a black and white image of the cover, which is Revenge, who looks like he's been blown up to like Gulliver size. He is huge, and he's laying in like the uh in like the waste of where this bridge once stood, and there is a uh, there are tiny people coming to attack him or do something to him. But, uh, yeah, that is the 28th issue of Strike Force Moratory and uh, still very, very solid. And this was a good one. This was this was everything I wanted in a book. So think mm-hmm. about this. I mean, right now, every single book is written for a trade. You don't often yeah. get that single issue that pops you, you know what I mean? Because you're always left with something. But I'm okay with being left with a cliffhanger. I've, I've never been – I've never had a problem oh, with that. that's classic comics, yeah. Yeah. But this, you know, they set up, okay, this story is about, you know, killer moratories. They're going to try to kill our team. They go ahead and they do it. They finish it up. They leave us with a cliff cliffhanger. One and done. We got a solid comic that we enjoyed for our $2 or $1.50 USD. Mm-hmm. Think about that. We didn't have to, you know, we didn't have to, to spread this, you know, each attack out in a single issue. You know what I mean? We got it all done oh, yeah. in one issue. Imagine. I loved it. I loved everything <laughs> about this book. I felt the tension. Brava died. Super Train blew to hell. We don't know what happened to the rest of our team. Killer moratory all over the place. Lions, tigers, and bears. Dogs sleeping with cats. It's mass hysteria. It certainly is. And it's like, uh, I wonder... Since, you know, I mean, cover dates are about four months ahead back here, right? I mean, this came out in December, and I think it has, like, a, an April cover date. So we're yeah. we're we're pretty far ahead in as far as the cover uh, dates are, are, you know, leading us to show. Yep. I wonder if word came down at this point that this book is not long for the world. But, boy, do like, you have to uh, kill every <laughs> – all right, kill them all at once. <laughs> Gone, we're done. We're but, out. But, but it's like the thing of it here is, like, you know nobody's safe. You know, because oh, we have, safe. yeah, we have word. I mean, and this is a book where nobody is safe to begin with. And but here, if we have word that, I mean, this is issue 28. The the series proper goes to issue 31. So we have three issues left. I would think that Hudnall by now knows that this book is not going to last much longer. So I wonder, Absolutely. you know, what kind of a hail mary play this is. And I'm and I'm looking here at. I just pulled out Electric Undertow, which is the continuation uh, of Strike Force Moratory that will, you know, that'll pick up with like episode 32 of the show. Um, now that has a December 1989 cover date, so it's not like they waited too terribly long. To, I think it maybe like a, there was like they took ah, maybe like a four month break between the series proper and uh, and the the Prestige format yeah. series. So, I mean. 
maybe this is just uh, taking the next step and clearing the deck for, you know, what he wants to do with Electric Undertow. Just a very interesting bit here. Um, and Because, like, nowadays, like, we know when books are being canceled, you know? Oh, hell um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, we get the warnings. I remember Marvel, what they used to do, like, around the turn of the century when, you know, the Internet was still a new thing, but it was, you know, becoming more ingrained in our daily use and stuff, especially in fandoms. We would rely on the Internet a lot to find out what was happening with, uh, you know, in the industry. Like, you'd see things like uh, they'd raise a book, their cover price of a book. And it's like Marvel would come out and say, well, we just did that so we can keep the book going. And it's one of those self-fulfilling prophecies where you know they're raising the price to make as much as they can off of what few issues they have left because everybody's going to jump off ship except for, you know, the people who buy everything. So we don't get that here back in 1989, but uh, still I feel like we're really ramping up to – to something, and I feel like maybe that other shoe did drop internally for for oh, something like this to happen. You're right because, like you said, we didn't get the heads up that things are going to be canceled. You know, it, it came yeah. out of nowhere. We sort of had to find out on the it, rack. They just didn't show up on the rack. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. And that's the reason why I thought this book was canceled after issue 20 because sure. I, I honestly didn't think it continued. Then I started. Then I got this issue at my pharmacy, and I'm like, what? What the yep. hell? <laughs> I got a hunt now. <laughs> but I'll tell you, and, and a great case in point, and I covered this on one of the Superblog team-ups, uh, mm-hmm. Mask for DC. Okay. okay. So Mask went a certain a certain number of issues, and then it was canceled at like this weird number, like issue seven or something. I can't remember what the issue was. But there was no heads up. The issue before didn't say that this issue was going to be the last issue. And they finished the issue. There was no sign off or anything like that. Like the issue just concluded like any other issue. And they announced the cancellation in the letters column. And you know how they canceled that book? Hmm. They said that Kurt Swan, who was drawing the book, by the way, which is a solid, solid artist to have there. For sure. Um, Kurt Swan has other stuff to do. So we're just <laughs> going to cancel the book. He has, get this, he has to draw Superman The Quest for Peace movie oh, adaptation. <laughs> and the writer. So both the writer and Kurt Swan was had other Bates? projects. Yeah, yeah Carrie Bates, yeah. They both had they both had Superman projects to do. So Mask was literally canceled because of Superman Four. That's funny. <laughs> but it's happened in the letters column. Like it was out of nowhere, you know what I mean? Mm. Like you talk about no heads up for the fans of the book. I mean, every single issue is someone's first issue, like you said all yeah. the time. You know what I mean? Every book it's somebody's first. And can you imagine that one being like you you finally found a comic book. You're a kid and, you know, you got two or three issues of mask. You're loving life and you can't wait. And then all of a sudden you don't understand why it doesn't come out anymore. And mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, that Superman book looks looks a lot like my mask comic. And you talk about a and just as a tangent here, you talk about a guy who uh, you know everybody has their definitive characters. You know, we talked about John Byrne and Lois sure. Lane. We talked about you know you know different people have their structure and their their characters they can do. Kurt Swan draws two characters, Superman, <laughs> Superman and Lex Luthor, and uh, just you know femaleizes a couple of them to become other people. But mm-hmm. but uh, yep, and that's what Mask was. It was a whole bunch of uh, Clark Kent and Supermans and uh, Lex Luthers. That's <laughs> so funny. No. But anyway. Back to back to moratory. Yes. Now this was a uh, this was a great issue. Um, so many different uh, you know facets to it, uh, different settings. Uh, it feels like we. I mean this this 
this move this issue didn't really move us too far forward chronologically but it feels like we got so much further ahead you know because just so much stuff happened in the short amount of time that the that the book was allotted you know it's it's a train ride. That's all we. Yeah, that's yeah. that's all we follow. Literally, here. literally yeah. a train ride. Uh, but I think they're going to update us in the letters column here. I think you know that oh, all will be check. just just like this mask one that I just talked about with Kurt Swan leaving mm. the book. We're going to find out all that information right here. Thank God. Whew. Yeah. Hit us with it. Okay, the letters page. It looks a lot like um. Oh, if anybody's following the new uh, the new X Men, uh, you know the Dawn of X books here, they put these like pages in there that are mostly blank with like one line on them. Um. <laughs> And they, they still charge you a lot of money for them. We have a page like that, and it just says, we need letters. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, no letters page here. If only they kept that full yeah. bag of mail that got lost, we would have I letters. Uh, you know, there's some lost media. That's oh, we need to, just, oh, We need to get involved with the lost media community and say, hey, there's a bag somewhere full of letters addressed to James <laughs> D. Hudnall, care of Marvel Comics, care of Mail Strike. And uh, we'd like to uh, we'd like to answer those questions. So if, if we can find those, I think uh, we might be <laughs> on to something here. It, it'll be the equivalent of finding ET games buried in the desert. It might be they they might be with the ET games in the desert. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> we gotta we gotta find uh, James Hudnall's like grandmother's house and look in the <laughs> attic. They're probably up. It's like in a big Santa there. Claus sack. But That's what <laughs> <is>. in it. <laughs> now. Since we don't have a letters page, we will go past the letters page and we will look at the bullpen bulletins. We got a quote. We got a quote. Hit him with the quote. Hey, wait a minute. I just remembered. This circus doesn't have any gorillas. And that was Bruno the Strongman from John Burns, She-Hulk number one. Mm-hmm. Sensational She-Hulk number one. I actually just covered that one on the blog back in May. And, uh... That was a fun read. It was pretty. I, fun I loved that entire series. Yeah. It was like, uh, it it mean you know it's completely meaningless in the entire you know spectrum of Marvel comics. I sure. mean, you talk about a book that's non-canon. This book like breaks the fourth wall to pieces. People who oh, cite totally. who cite Deadpool as like you know the start of the fourth wall breaking or someone who did it. This She-Hulk book broke it to pieces every single issue. I mean, I, I loved mm. it. It was it was a comic making fun of comics, and I loved it. Oh, totally, totally. Uh, we have some news you can use. Ooh. And uh, stop us if you heard this one before. We've got some assistant editors moving around. Those poor guys. Uh, now, this is uh, just a temporary move. For some just to screw with them, I think. Um, now, for one day, the assistants will report to a different editor. And I'm oh. sure the uh, I'm sure the quality control was passed on to us, the reader, right? Um and we want to remind everybody that these these geeks are fresh out of the uh, butt dive boot camp. <laughs> so they're well oiled. They're well greased. <laughs> they sure are. I mean, why? And if you're going to do something silly like this, why do you have to t- tell? I, maybe, I hope they're lying. I hope this is like, hey, yes. they'll think we're wacky. <laughs> Look at these hijinks at Marvel uh, I, offices. <laughs> oh, it's fun and games everywhere. And uh, speaking of fun and games. The next news item, Mark Grunewald decorated the office for Halloween. Oh, I can't wait and, to hear uh, about it. Yes, if you were if you were in the Marvel uh, bullpen on Halloween of 1988, you'd see a bop bag toss. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's something you want to do in front of people, but <laughs> if, if that's okay. your thing, by all means, bop your bag in front of people. <laughs> um, also, pin the tail on the Gru. 
Oh, now this Which is not Sergio Aragones, or is no, this, this is Mark Grunewald. Grunewald. Oh, <laughs> pin the tail on Grunewald. That sounds like fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's another thing you might not want to do in public. <laughs> uh, we have uh, knock down the assistant editor's cans. Oh my! I, I don't know if cans has another meaning. Uh, I know <laughs> I know certain body parts that are referred to as cans. Uh, we have they were, both they a were men. Featured heavily in Screw magazine. <laughs> they were. They were. We have a men's and women's limbo. Speaking of cans. Mm-hmm. We have bobbing for booty apples. <laughs> Terrible. Which, I mean, Terrible. saying that out loud sounds pretty disgusting, but Budiansky. it was spelled like Budiansky, yes. Bob Budiansky. Oh, just apples. a hijinks. Just keep a rolling here. Oh, it's wild. But, I mean, if you're going to bob for booty apples, uh, you probably want to do that in private. Uh, pinch, Pitch the penny in the pumpkin head, which oh. uh, was won by Peter David, and I wonder if he claimed that on his taxes. <laughs> Um, Good point. Good point. Now, there's a stuff your mouth full of candy contest. Uh, Who candy is? I never know. Um, (laughs) And then the Tom DeFalco cigar ring toss. Oh, he's a cigar guy, is he? This makes a lot of sense now. Oh, yeah. If you remember his uh, those like one panel comics, they would stick in like the early 90s comics. He'd always have like a big stogie sticking out of his mouth. It was like his gimmick, uh, kind of like uh, Tom Brevoort's funny hat. This is this was Tom DeFalco's gimmick. Uh, um, he's ripping off old Jack Kirby hunched over his uh, his artboard with a, you know, his musty cigar. Now, we'd like to pause for a moment to remind everyone listening that someone got paid to write this and it wasn't us transcribing it. It was someone else. <laughs> like, are we five here? Seriously. Like, <laughs> do, do adults already hate their life so much that they actually behave this way? I mean, let, let's be real here. I I can't make sense of this. I mean, uh, okay. So admission time, okay? So mm-hmm. in the retail world, sometimes when, you know, your team gets disengaged, you do team building activities, okay? Of course. <laughs> I've done limbo. I've done the bobbing for apples. These are real things that 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 happen in, in, the, in the workplace. Uh, they were not booty apples. They were they were Bailey apples, okay. but but it's it's much the same. <laughs> and uh, they were just as enjoyable as you can picture in your head here as well. So <laughs> I will tell you one thing that ended up turning up on its head. So ready for this? Sure. Remember when they said you know they were going to switch assistant editors just for one yes. day? So we had to play a game, and I came up with this. This was my idea, and what a genius idea this was. Uh, was that, you know, the assistant manager, whoever won the game, would swap roles with that particular individual for one day. Well, no, actually, it was for half a day. Okay? Okay. Manager yeah. for a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You, one person gets to be manager and tell you what to do. You know, they actually get an assistant manager badge. We had one done up, ready to go. And mm-hmm. then, you know, you had to go down and work inside your department. Chris, the guy <laughs> who hated my guts ended up winning it. And I was put through my paces. I, I felt like a whip dog by the end of the day. He had me going, and they were taking pictures of me. <laughs> Look, it's the first time Chris ever did any work in his life. <laughs> I was like, oh no. So, so guess guess what? Careful what you wish for, folks, when you do when you play these inter office games, because as stupid as those sound, it actually is. The the last time I uh, was involved in a team building thing was when I was uh I was uh, working for the windshield rep- repair company so I was on the road uh, all day in 120 degree Fahrenheit Arizona weather repairing windshields and uh, 
as you might imagine, in the middle of the summer, we were very disengaged and very unhappy. Um, especially for like the the big ten dollars and fifty cents we got an hour to do this. But uh, oh yeah. And we were coming out burnt and uh, heat stroke and oh man, it was rough. But uh, th- they decided they wanted to do a team building thing. And so we they were going to bring us all to an arcade that was like 50 miles away from our houses. Because um, it was like a, it's it's sort of like a, what, are the, what is that thing? Like a bus, Dave and Busters or something like that. Oh something, yeah, like where you have video games, like a restaurant built into like yeah, an arcade type of, yeah. Sure. So it's like a... Something like that. It was not exactly that that company, but it was uh, something kind of like that. It had like a bowling alley and a batting yep. cage, and and we're like they're like, oh, we're gonna do this for you guys. And it's like, okay, so I have to work ten hours in the sun, drive back to my house, take a shower, get dressed, drive fifty miles across town <sighs> to go to this thing, then do whatever we're gonna do there, then drive fifty miles home. Go to bed, get up, and do it again the next day. This is this is where you lose people because yeah, you're exactly I, right. Yeah. Because you're tired. You number no one, doubt. you don't you, you don't want to spend any more time than necessary with these people. No right? doubt. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you're on a ship for eight hours, you're done with those people. You don't want to come back two hours later and spend you know t- two hours bobbing for apples with these assholes again. No, you <laughs> don't want to do it. Because like they, what they don't understand is, for the most part, the people you work with, the only thing you have in common with them is what you do for a living. Yes. So it's yes. like you're going to meet up with these people, and it's like, hey, did you hear about that thing that happened at work? It's like, well, yeah, I work there too. Oh, yeah. okay. That's yeah, like, but that's all – you're exactly right. And, and yeah. your conversations swirl around it. Every now and then, you'll have that one person who your ears will go up, and they'll talk about one of your hobbies. And you'll have that sure. one thing in common. Hey, it's, you know – uh, Bill from work and Bill likes comics. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's that one thing you know about him. So you, you try to make that conversation. Hey, Bill, did you read this Batman book? Hey, you know what Tom King is doing on this? Nope. <laughs> oh, okay. Have a good day, Bill. Let's go yep. bobbing for apples at six. Talk to you then. <laughs> and I, I, I told the the manager that, uh, that I wasn't going to go. Uh-oh. I'm like, cause, uh, cause, because like Phoenix is a, is a pretty sprawling sort of town here. Um, I live in a suburb that's northwest of Phoenix. The place we were gonna go was like two cities southeast of Phoenix, oh, so you'd have to go all the way around Phoenix to get there. And of course, it was during rush hour because it was like oh, at five or six at night, so it would be rush hour going out there. It was the middle of summer. It was hot as hell, and uh, so I told them like I ain't doing it, and they threatened to fire me. Oh, like, yeah, you weren't yeah, a team like, player, bro. You weren't a yeah. team player. And I said, where do you want me to leave the car? Because uh, <laughs> I was in the, my rig, and they're like, uh, never mind. So it's like, it's like, okay, dude, <laughs> you you want to hire someone to do this stupid job in the middle of the summer? Go oh. ahead. <laughs> horrible, but, uh, horrible. But yeah, and then they tried to press it off like it was like the most fun thing in the world. And uh, it's like, it's like you guys hate each other. What are you talking about? But, hey, you know what would be fun? If you do this particular event in the middle of your eight hour work shift and let you go home, right? like respectful yeah. people. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not after the shift and not in the middle of the night and not when I have a shift to go the next day. And ugh. Ugh. But we have we have another news item to get to. John Romita Jr. and Chris Claremont get married. Well, that makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. <laughs> you can fill in the blanks there. But but wait, wait, wait. Not to each other. Not to each <laughs> other. 
Oh, now, I thought John, they were being, I thought they were going to be progressive here in this this no, ad. Not, nope. This is this is still 1989. This is a long time ago. Uh, John gets married to Patricia Baker, and Chris gets married to Beth Fleischer, and uh, we hope they're all still together. Oh yeah, God, just nothing but nothing but wedded bliss. Yeah, didn't 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 do any research to see if they still were because frankly we uh well we didn't care that much and also we were afraid we'd hear that they broke up and we didn't want to have to report that as well. Well, I, uh, I hope I, I hope I hope that John Romita Jr. doesn't give uh, his wife Patricia like mm-hmm. artwork for uh, for like holidays. <laughs> Here's Valentine's Day. Here's a shitty picture that I drew of Daredevil for you. <laughs> Love you, baby. <laughs> hey. Here, this Christmas, 2020, I've got some frame Superman work for you. Coming hot. Oh, <laughs> and I'm, I wonder if, if Chris Claremont wrote his own vows. He's probably still <laughs> telling them now. <laughs> and then Gene Gray went and... <laughs> Terrible. I will use my razor-sharp wit. And... <laughs> <laughs> so many jokes. So little time. It's true. It's true. Uh, speaking of time, let's get to our next item here. Stan Lee's soapbox will make its triumphant return to the bullpen bulletin page next month. Excelsior! Yeah, next month. I guess, well, that that really you needed yeah. to make that announcement. And I, I guess I, I guess there wasn't much news, and I also guess that we're probably in for some sort of kind of boring back matter next episode. <laughs> Standing on those, the soapbox. Oh, uh, you know I, I love Stan, but those 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 soapbox things were they were middling for uh, it was it was either like he was trying to like he had an agenda where he was trying to tow a portion of the company line and tell yep. some stories or he was deflecting he was in hollywood lines. yes or he was dodging bullets like racism and all that stuff so if stan was stan or marvel was accused of racism he'd be on there well back in 1960s a black character was actually my creation and i created the black <laughs> panther and you're like what whoa 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 back up to the train here stan <laughs> Oh, you you wanted to know where I've been? I've been in Hollywood, and I've been selling every Marvel property. And, oh boy, uh, were you ever? Thanks, Dan. Thanks for sending <laughs> sending each character into their own universe pocket and never to never to return it again. Good Lord, thank you for that. It's hey, true. I sold Spider Man to a coloring book company over in Arizona, and Doctor Strange <laughs> was sold to a toothpaste company in Seattle. <laughs> oh God. Oh man, it's true though. It's very yes. true. It's like it's like we could put Spider-Man on this kind of cheese, but not that kind of cheese. <laughs> These right. cheddar only. Um, <laughs> we do have a profile, and this is for a Mr. Mark Siri. Oh well, yeah, I'm familiar with all his work. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm afraid when we say his name, my phone is going to kick on and uh, try to answer <laughs> a question here. Um, now, like asking who is Mark Siri, I wonder if it'll answer. Uh, now we I, have a gig. I do not know that information. <laughs> I have never heard of that person, um, <laughs> and neither have we. But no. what he does is he's the assistant editor on Captain America, Daredevil, Fantastic Four, Thor, and a bunch of Marvel graphic novels. Ooh, listen, and for I'm, and for one I'm day, he was probably the assistant editor on on uh, what Wolfpack, Steel Town Rockers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Little grip yeah, Sharky. Oh <laughs> God, I forgot completely of that comic's existence. A steel grip Starkey Saturday is coming soon. <laughs> um, his past work, his past freelance work, was Ohatan, oh. who and what the? Yeah, 
Current freelance, he does assorted coloring gigs and the letters pages on Alpha Flight and The Punisher. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Still I mean, not I, the worst. Still not the I, worst. I wonder what like the letters page in Alpha Flight entails in 1988, 1989. Oh, oh, watch out for letters from that C. Bailey guy saying, this is disrespectful for, to, to me as a Canadian. <laughs> I hate puck. Stop with Sasquatch. <laughs> Why are you patronizing us? <laughs> it's true. It's true. His hobbies include drawing, paintball, which, I mean, a lot of these bullpenners are into yeah. paintball, aren't they? Hmm. Uh, he also likes to work on his car, which is a Triumph Spitfire. Oh. And the Troubleshooters. Yeah, baby. Yeah, the new Stop. universe. Love it. <laughs> Loving it. More on that later. Yes. Now, the work he's most proud of is a fake ad he created for What The that nobody probably noticed. Right, you're right. He's not wrong. He's, it's true. Uh, his pet peeves include when his editor prank calls him. So he's uh, he's dropping names left and right here. He wants us to know <laughs> that he knows people that you've heard of. Um, God bless him. Good. He, he was born in New York City, baby. Mm. His greatest life accomplishment was living in NYC, baby, and never being mugged. Which uh, oh. I think that sounds like a challenge, doesn't it? <laughs> think about that for a second you're bra- <laughs> you're talking about new york city and now you're mm-hmm. bragging you've never been mugged in new york city six mm-hmm. bucks in my left nut says the next guy that guy heads out <laughs> on the street in new york city he's done for he's toast he's in an alley yes <laughs> no his oddest habit includes staying out too late when he has to work early so he is an absolute madman oh crazy he- he probably would have went to that Dave and Buster's that night. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd play him in a movie? George Michael. Oh. No, my. <laughs> now, this was after Wham, okay? This was, like, <laughs> after Wham, George Michael. So this was, you know, this was, like, tight jeans. You got to have faith, the faith, the faith, this this type of guy. Yeah, the so. 5 o'clock shadow. Yeah, the 5 o'clock shadow, the sunglasses, women falling all over the place. At, but he doesn't care, ladies. He ain't into that, baby. No. But that's cool. But that's super high praise for himself. He's calling himself George Michaels, who was, like, the sex symbol of, like, the late 80s. Mm, sure. Look at you, boy. You got something going on there. I mean, now he looks like George Michael and he's never been mugged. Hmm. You're getting mugged, pal. <laughs> um, ben, I got some bad news for you. I've got some bad news. <laughs> uh, now, why did he pick comics? He picked comics because it looked like so much fun. Uh, well, you know what? That's good. That's, yeah. that's fair. Yeah, he actually wants to do comics. Wow. What a revelation. What a Thank concept, God. right? Well, well, it's Get better it? than, than half of the you people. Get into comics because you want to do comics. Yes, I, I want to do comics, so I made it happen. Good for, good for you. Not I have no complaints over that. People in high school thought he was irresponsible, unethical, and morally bankrupt. We call those people assholes. <laughs> Thank you, Siri. Um, his, his favorite performers include Run DMC, Devo, R.E.M., and past profile victim... Michael Rockwitz's impersonations. Michael, <laughs> Michael Rockwitz. Hmm. Rockwitz. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to let Rockwitz go because I got to blast REM for a second. Think, think about this. REM, Michael Stipe, okay? Mr., mm-hmm. you know, uh, shiny, that's happy him, that's people. That's him in the corner. That's me in the corner, right? I mean, that that type of music. 
was super popular right now. You know, it was quirky. It was weird, independent. You know, it had buzz all over the place. Think of it. Do we still listen to this crap in 2020? Seriously, do we? If this stuff. Now, I know our... <laughs> I, I know R.E.M., like back in its day, now it has its fan base. It's still considered cool. You know, he can still listen to it. Now it's retro. Oh, yeah, look at that song. You know, that's me in the corner. Love it, right? Love it. Losing my religion. Award winner all over the place. Play that in 2020. See what happens. Like, if, if R.E.M. did not exist and you put out you losing your, your religion right now, what would happen? Nothing. Dua Lipa would kill you. Yeah, you would You would not even make the top 900, let alone the top 40. And the only thing that would be there would be you in the corner by yourself, as, as the song says. <laughs> and uh, everybody hurts sometimes. So. <laughs> oh, man. He just seems like a whiny bitch. Just seems like <laughs> just this guy. It was just... My life We're talking is... about Michael Stipe, right? Michael not our... Stipe. Not our... Profile victim here, yeah. No, no, Michael Stipe. <laughs> anyway, moving no. on, moving on, people. <laughs> Sorry now for all the, the Stipe heads. Okay. <laughs> the last good book he read, probably with his pants off, is Lolita <laughs> by Nabokov. Uh, and uh, if uh, if you're not familiar with Lolita, it's a it's about. And this is the. This is the uh, you know deconstructionist, very very uh, you know what is it, inch deep, mile wide here. It's about a middle aged man who falls in love with his landlady's twelve year old daughter. Bro, so. you can go to jail for that shit. Go to jail. He, Do he not get pass the, go, homeboy. You uh, you need to get that memo, sir. Need to get the memo. <laughs> Yikes, a hoodie. Keep no, your pants the, on. Now the last good movie he saw, probably with his pants on, was the uh, the Postman Always Rings Twice. Now this is a 1946 film noir piece about a woman and her lover hatching a plan to kill the woman's husband so they could be together, and uh, the whole thing kind of goes, uh, you know, ass up and sideways. Well, so you got to remember, he's morally bankrupt. He's morally bankrupt. He said so himself. He so said now, so himself. Now he's got like an affinity for twelve-year-old girls, and now dusting off his, uh, you know, his his companion in life, and not a good situation going on here in this profile. Mm-hmm. We need to report this as soon as this this is done. Do you think that they'll go back to <laughs> 1989 and start the investigation there? <laughs> Seize the computer, people! Seize the computer! <laughs> his Tiger electronic calculator, or whatever. Um, <laughs> his biggest influence is cited as Elliot Brown. I don't know who that is. Do you? Or do I, sir? Encyclopedia okay. Brown. I used to mm. read that as a kid. For sure. All for those sure. teen mysteries. It was good. Encyclopedia Britannica Brown. Um, <laughs> I learned where my mandibula was. Um, <laughs> oh, boy, that guy looked creepy. If you have not seen this uh, on Chris's Twitter, you need to go take a look at one of his uh, his shots at Encyclopedia Britannica and the salesperson who was pitching it. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's quite he, a fella. He watched Lolita a couple times, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Now, his greatest unfulfilled ambition is a woman down the hall that he's not going to name. Oh, boy. Mm. We're going to we're going to jump ahead here to an interview with uh, a <laughs> for, man for his own sake. <laughs> well, no, no, no. We're, we're, we're going to keep going here with man without dot com. OK, there was an interview with Mr. Siri in 2000 where he reveals that he had a crush on Christy Shield, the colorist of this here moratory book. So maybe he's talking about her. Oh, this dude, together. this dude has been me too right after this episode. Done. <laughs> him and, him and Bill Cosby sharing pudding pops. That's what's happening. 
The worst part of his job is all the garbage that piles up on his desk every day. Oh. When nobody's looking, he puts that pile of garbage on Ralph Macchio's desk. Name. It's called Wolf Drapa. <laughs> <laughs> now, what the people need to know is that uh, he has two roommates, Stephanie and Andrea, and he promised that he'd name them. So uh, come and knock on his door. He'll be waiting for you. Where the kisses are hers and hers and and he's got this friend called Larry Dallas. Now Larry, like yes. oh never mind, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and that is Mr. Siri here. Um, our mighty Marvel checklist—they're really just phoning this thing in. It's basically—it's just a list. Um, nothing oh, as yeah. a blurb. I mean, if you didn't, if you weren't like, if you weren't, you didn't have your finger on the pulse here, this would just be a list and. Uh, the only thing that really stands out is that first issue of She-Hulk to me. Are you serious? Like, you don't have the power for Dino Riders? <laughs> Number three. And listen, we are, like, it seemed only yesterday that Marvel Comics Presents started. It's already at issue 20 here. Like, holy oh, yeah. ding-dong. What is happening with that particular series? Twice a month, yeah. Twice a month happening. You every got two Marvel, weeks. Yeah, Marvel Age was at issue 74. Mm-hmm. What else we have here? All the X-Books were still in Inferno, I think, or just wrapping it up. You mean like actually putting out good content? That's what you meant to say. <laughs> I love, I loved Inferno. I'll always praise that particular issue. New Mutants was just literally letting the bed, letting the bed down here at issue 75. So, you know, they're just about to break new ground with the, mm-hmm. you know, just coming, just coming on their seminal run, just about to start, which is cool nothing really of note there. I mean, She-Hulk number one was definitely the prize right there, that particular one. No doubt about it. And they had that bag of junk called G.I. Joe European Missions. Terrible. I've never read that. Junk. So G.I. Joe proper, which Real Mm -hmm. American Hero, loved that book, bought every issue. G.I. Joe Special Missions, perfectly fine, loved it. G.I. Joe European Missions, try that out. No good. Is it still Hammer? Uh, that I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. I just know that as a kid, I hated it. <laughs> Man. Oh, boy. But uh, one thing we have in this issue, and we mentioned this earlier on, is that we have real ads. We actually have oh, and, and some good ones. Ads. We do indeed. I'm, I'm, right now, I'm, I'm trying to look up G.I. Joe European missions here on the old uh, Google machine to see if I can figure out anything here about it. Uh, and there's not a whole heck of a lot that I can find immediately. I want to find a damn wiki. Anytime I'm not looking for a wiki, the wiki is the first thing that pops up. But uh, <laughs> let's see here. Okay, who wrote this? Who wrote this? Who wrote this? Um, there is no credits. Really? No credits? Yep. Uh, maybe maybe this is a, Maybe they don't want people to know who wrote it. See, the first issue, Double Bluff. Oh, okay. Written by Dan Abnett, Ford Allen, Ian Rimmer, and Simon Furman. See, these were these were the... Um, like anthology deals here. Well, they're from... Uh, they're UK, aren't they? Weren't they the... I, uh, I'm pretty certain they were. They were the UK oh, editions. Okay. Yeah, these, yeah they're, they're British writers. Yeah, so yep. yeah. Okay, so they just brought them over and compiled them for... For we on in uh, you know, on the, across the pond, I guess. Yeah, okay. it's uh, and these are not good issues either because I loved see GI Joe across the pond was called Action Force. Yeah. 
Okay, because obviously they couldn't use G.I. Joe, a real American hero. So they went with the more worldly action force. So they could use that in any country. So if mm-hmm. you were selling that in Baghdad, you know, it was, you know, it, it was wasn't G.I. Joe, a real American yeah. hero and be burned at the stake. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was action force, which was just just enough. And it featured more um, international characters. So it had okay. a little bit of a different flavor. But man, it was just it was not the same. Like it did not have the mm-hmm. same vibe. Yeah, obviously it wasn't canon for the Hammerverse and all that type of sure. stuff. Like some of the things were shared, but uh, a lot of it, it just felt like a foreign comic. It did. It literally it was a foreign comic and it felt like it. Put it that way. Hmm. I remember, but it got uh, really it got really good near the end though. I don't know what happened or what changed, but it it uh, it started to incorporate other series. It's like they had crossovers and all this type of stuff over in the UK. Oh, wow. Oh, Marvel UK is something else. It is it is a world. Oh, it's wild. Its own, man. It's really oh, cool. Yeah, it's wild stuff. We, me and Reggie did a did a retrospective on that during uh, I don't remember which episode of the treadmill, but it's wild stuff over there. Um, I remember uh, getting a, you know, they stopped selling the GI Joe single packs in stores like a long yes. time ago. You know, yes. I used to be able to get them for like three bucks each, and it was like, it was always like so much cooler because like. I could buy three of those for ten dollars, where I could buy like two Ninja Turtles for ten dollars, because those were yes. five dollars each. So exactly, the, the Joes were always a little bit more affordable, but they stopped making or they stopped selling at least around here the singles, and then they started putting out like these packs of like six characters, like themed. And I remember getting one that was uh, the Night Force. It was probably oh, oh boy, probably like two thousand ish or so. And the the big draw of this pack was Action Man. It was the first time they did a three uh, by three quarter inch Action Man figure, which was uh, the, you know, the Action Force Action Man guy. Wow. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. And that was like yes. a, a reason I nabbed that one up pretty quick because it was just such a novelty to, to have that. Very cool. But yeah, that's a that'll bring us right to our ads here. And uh, our first one is a we actually have Stan Lee in here. It's and he's a, holding it's he's holding some. Pack. Yeah, he's holding some VHS tapes from Hollywood. <laughs> he sold them. Um, <laughs> yeah, these are Marvel videos here. The first one is How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way, the video, which I've, I've seen I it a hundred times. Have you? I, I, should, oh, yeah. I probably should have looked this up. Maybe I'll if I can find it like on YouTube or something. Oh, it I'll is. Include it's link. 100% it's be, right? on YouTube. Oh, it is 100%. I don't know what this X-Men is, though. I have no idea what this videotape is. I, I thought maybe it was prior to the X-Men. Because, I mean, Kitty is on the cover. Um, uh, maybe it is. Yeah, cause it, but they don't call it that. All they do is call it X-Men. And uh, if you wanted to buy Draw Comics the Marvel Way, that'll set you back 20 bucks American. Ooh. If you wanted to buy X-Men, possibly prior to the X-Men, it would set you back $15 American. And if you buy both, you get a, a Stan Lee autographed Marvel poster, which is probably the only thing worth it of that whole thing. <laughs> i tell you what's funny so i mean i had how to draw comics the marvel way the actual book i mean sure. like, you know if you're if you're a marvel fan chances are you you've seen that book or you've had it in your hands or you own it one of it oh it's uh, i've got it it's fallen apart yeah oh me too me too mm-hmm. but but that's the charm of it you know what i mean it's well used i tried to oh, draw yeah. from it um i could do nothing with that book me either i i, I could not learn how to draw i took nothing out of it so then I saw this video on YouTube. So I always wanted to buy these tapes, but of course I, I could, I never ever got my hands on them. I never saw them before, but the video was on YouTube. So I sat back one day and I'm like, okay, we're actually going to see Busema actually draw. 
Yep. And it's way over our heads. It's like it's like an advanced advanced uh, writer just you know yeah. just just writing out of nowhere from scratch. I mean you, you it's cannot. Three hundred one class. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's like him drawing Thor like right away. Bam! Here you go. <laughs> hey hey kids, here you go. You draw this here, draw this circle, and all of a sudden two minutes later the the you know you have a finished product and you're just left in wind and you've got two scratches on your paper. You're like what? <laughs> hey whoa whoa! Rewind the tape. Rewind the tape here. I remember uh, I, I I saved up my money to buy How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way and uh, I mean it was like well like maybe like a twenty dollar book um, back in the day which you know uh, these that was pretty pricey uh, back in the day it's pricey now but uh, I remember the first thing I did is I I made a list of all of the tools I was going to need because the first few pages is like these are your artist tools you know. And it was like you have these special inks and the special pencils and the, and the special like straight edges. And uh, I made this list and I'm like, hey, Ma, we need to go to the art store. And she's like, nope. <laughs> so I yes, was sir. like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, like, like well, I'm doing there's I'm some doing typing a... paper and, and some pencils in the drawer. <laughs> so yes, go at it. <laughs> you know, the the ink wells and the, oh, you yeah. know, the feather. And no way. I'm just using like standard paper and regular pencils. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Who has if you had to buy all this stuff, you would never pay it off with your artwork. Let's put it that way. You would always be a starving artist. If you went and bought yourself, I'm gonna get myself an artboard, and here I'm gonna buy some inkwell. I'm gonna get all these, you know, comic book paper. You're done. You're never paying oh, your yeah. stuff off. You would yeah, need just... four jobs at Marvel to pay for that. <laughs> I just pulled it off the shelf here. Let me see. What are the tools of the trade here? Um, yeah, we have. Uh, let's see, it's it's a picture of a pencil. It says some artists prefer a soft lead, some like the finer hard lead. It's up to you. A pen this is a simple drawing pen with a thin point for inking and bordering, and a brush also for inking. A sable hair number three is your best bet. We have erasers, an art gum, and one smooth kneaded eraser. India ink, white opaquing paint. A glass jar, a triangle, which is a must for drawing right angles and working in perspective, push pins, a T-square, a ruler, illustration paper. We use two-ply Bristol board, 10 by 15, drawing board, a rag, an ink compass. So, like, I, I found these things, and I, I priced them out, and uh, my mom said, nope. <laughs> Nay, 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 Chris. So they use Bristol board as their actual art paper. Mm -hmm. That's according to the book. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So it's not the cheap stuff. And it's certainly uh, if I were, you know, a 10 year old kid with that, I would be probably petrified to draw on it because I'd be afraid I'd ruin it. Hell, as a 40 year old, I'd be terrified to draw. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, my God. I mean, and there's no way there's no way that you could become an artist from watching this video. You could no. be inspired, you know, oh, my God, yeah, look how sure. great that guy is. Jeez, I wish I knew what he had, you know, I wish I knew that, you know, his tips, because yeah, clearly I, I they want to eat the Wheaties. Yeah, yeah, they they went from pencil sketch to finished product in like in like two seconds. Boom, done. Hey, Absolutely. why can't you draw like this kid here? Draw the silver surfer and some buildings in perspective. Boom. Two <laughs> seconds later, it's completed. You're you're left there with like chicken scratches on the paper. <laughs> Oh, I must have that, missed a step or two. That's why we have the apps nowadays where you could just put in your 3D models and exactly. call it good. Exactly. You don't have to draw a set of buildings. You can literally call Siri and ask her to do a set of buildings for you. <laughs> can you imagine how to, draw, how to draw comics the Marvel way 2020? 
<laughs> Steal photo from internet of buildings. Convert to right, Reinhardt with one right click. Click save as. Yeah. <laughs> Reuse a Wolverine photo from Marvel Comics number 29. Blip. Send to send to Marvel to print. <laughs> That's literally it. Do you wish to send to editor? Yes or no? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yes, we, that is our first ad. Our second ad invites you into the world of Fist. Oh, what's worse than Dungeons and Dragons in on the nerd scale? Fist. Fake Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and, uh, you know, back in university, I like I said, I, I dabbled mildly in uh, D&D. I stayed away from a very, very creepy D&D society, thankfully. That would have changed my life or, or ended it, one or the other. <laughs> and uh, now we're entered the world of Fist, which I, I, I don't know what to say about that. It was college. I was experimenting. What do you want from me? <laughs> we all had that phase, right? Um, and FIST stands for Fantasy Interactive Scenarios by Telephone. And it's, uh, it's available for the first time in the United States here. And the phone number they give you is 540-FIST, which I, I don't want to dare anyone to call right now because <laughs> Lord only knows what you're going to get. Um, it's only available in the 212 718 Five three six and nine one four uh, area codes, and uh, I know at least two of those are in New York. Two one two is Manhattan. Seven one eight is like uh, Brooklyn, Queens. I don't know about the other ones, but uh, yeah, this is a. Uh, is that long? You could actually. Um, it. I think it's sixty cents a call. Sixty. Oh, sixty cents a minute. I'm sorry. Uh, it doesn't say how uh, how how long these calls generally go, but. If you do call, you could join a monthly competition where if you are a skillful adventurer, you'll win real gold pieces. Sure I'd like to meet will. someone who won the real gold to find hey, out. Hey, little boy, here's some gold coins for your dungeon. <laughs> what are these calls like? I can tell you what these calls are like right now. Are you ready for this? Go for this it. Is, this is exactly – I used to work at Fist, by the way. So <laughs> it's like – So you were a professional fister. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what it sounded like. Ready? Just make out you're dialing in. Okay, you're dialed in. You ready? Welcome to the world of fist. Okay, right? So, you're entering a dungeon. There's lots of wenches around, and their breasts are heaving, and your bulge uh, is exposed to the wind as you enter the dungeon. And then you take off your pants, and then <laughs> and then it continues from there. Thunderbolt! Exa- Thunderbolt! Thunderbolt! <laughs> You use your magic to undress the wench. <laughs> That's exactly what this is. Oh, it says here oh. you could uh, you could hear the roar of the flesh eater. Um, <laughs> you could hear the sizzle of a fireball, the chinking of gold pieces. Oh my! Uh, and fa- and you will find things hidden in the demon prince's underground dungeons. Whew. I'm almost tempted to call, but I, I don't. I don't. I don't think we can do that. I'm afraid of dialing anything with fist as the final four digits. Uh, that's you're gonna get like, what are you doing calling us, little man? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Then yeah. Hey, it's uh, it's fist. <laughs> but just imagine if it still exists. <laughs> but if if anybody has any uh, experience fist. calling into fist, we we'd you're like here, to know about you. You're here for your fist experience. <laughs> Are you a fist enthusiast? Um, oh boy! Now our final ad is uh, John Elway's quarterback, 
with a with features a kid that really wants me. It okay. makes me want to kick a field goal. <laughs> yes, sir. So I own this game. It was the first, so I don't I didn't know anything about football. Okay. Okay. Nothing. Zero. Did not understand the rules. I knew that people you know threw a ball and you know collided into each other. That's it. This is how I learned football, and I'm not even joking you. I bought mm. this game because my friend loved the game Tecmo Bowl, and I was confused okay. and bought the wrong game, Chris. Ah. See? So while there the cool kids were playing Tecmo Bowl, Chris was left by himself playing crappy John Elway's quarterback. Were you were you there with young video whiz Danny Wimpasinger? <laughs> I was not, no. <laughs> that that would have ended my uh, football career right away. I but think so. it's one of those games from Trade West, which also did Dun, uh, Double Dragon. Double Dragon, yeah. Now, now, what is the problem with the original Double Dragon for NES? Can you tell Only me? Only one player. It is one player. It's Single Dragon by Trade mm-hmm. West, which is the <laughs> stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Double Dragon, but you can only play one one character. That's the entire game. Yeah. That's like the one single thing that makes it a cool game is that you and your friend could kick ass. Yeah, I think like the two-player mode on that is like a one-on-one fighting thing. It's like... Oh. Not what you wanted from a Double Dragon game at all. I don't get it, man. I, I just don't. Did you play John Elway's quarterback? No. I, the, the the chuckle-headed John Elway on the cover, like, freaked me out. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, want to play football? <laughs> no, I can't even he do it. He kind of looks like, you know, and if you're a wrestling fan, he kind of looks like jumping Jim Brunzel in the face a little yeah. bit. He's got, like, that chuckle-head overbite, you know? <laughs> It's uh, very bizarre looking, but uh, he's here hit kicking him. ass on uh, Danny Wimpager, so or with I'll the singer. Him. I'll hit him with a drop kick, Brian. You hit him from the we hit him with the sunset flip. We'll finish it up. <laughs> the hurt, the hurt. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the game, the game itself is uh, is is no good. Is no, no good. good at all. No, 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 no. You you pick your plays, and then the game basically does it for you, and you know it's oh, okay. it's not it's not good. It's it's junk. But it taught me football, so thank you, John Elway. Thank you, John Elway. And uh, thank you all for listening, because I think we're through with this issue. Episode 28, issue 28, cover to cover, as best we can, all behind us now. So uh, you want to do some pitching, some plugging, some fit, fit? No, no, not that. Uh, some uh, plugging? <laughs> we ain't fisting, brother. You know, <laughs> we, we ain't that close, believe it or not. <laughs> so so what I would like to say, actually, yeah, you can find me over on Twitter at Charlton underscore hero. But what I really want to get across is the next two weeks of Moratory Mondays are going to be supercharged. So you're going to get uh, a couple special things that uh, we've been working on behind the scenes in the weeds and uh, yeah, you're gonna get uh, gonna get a couple surprises along the way. So I'm just super pumped over that. Stay tuned, uh, and um, yeah, it's gonna be fun. And if you want to hear more of myself, you can hear myself and Mr. Mark Radlich minus Chris Sheehan because he refuses to come on talking about AEW wrestling mm-hmm. this Tuesday. What do you think about that, Chris? Have you changed your mind? Are you gonna come aboard? Are you gonna become all elite? That's what I need to know. I am I am anything but I, I'm <laughs> I anybody who knows me knows I'm not elite in any way so no I, I cannot and uh, <laughs> it's, it's like double dragon except where there's supposed to be three players there's only two that's it this that's podcast it, yeah. sponsored by Trade West 
<laughs> Sponsored and destroyed by. Um, <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, that I think that'll uh, that'll do it for us here. You can find me uh, over at Chris's on Infinite Earths. Um, I've put together a subdomain for Moratory Mondays, which has a very, very long um, web address. It is moratory.com, but uh, I'll try to do something, you know, to, to judge that up a bit and make it a little bit easier to find. But if you go there and you bookmark it, you won't have to worry. So that is moratory.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com, and you'll be able to see all the shows in the order they're meant to be listened to. So uh it's probably the easiest way to find uh, what we do um, because the uh, the Podbean archives and the iTunes archives are uh, they're kind of unwieldy because we have a lot of stuff up. Um, speaking of stuff going up, I've started a read through of the, the new X Men books. So there was a show called X Lapsed, which sounds like X Lax, and uh, I think I was planning. You remember that episode of Seinfeld where? Uh, where George was trying to like make a woman remember for him by by having his name sound like by Menon, you know, it's like Costanza. So I'm thinking like X lapsed sounds a lot like X lax, and maybe people will be like X lax. Oh, oh yeah, I remember that, hey, and maybe it'll just X-lax. stick in people's heads. Yeah. <laughs> well done. But uh, there are five episodes of that up that uh, that went out this week. Uh, there was actually a new show every single day this week at the site. Um, and they will be back on Tuesday. So tomorrow, uh, they will resume with episode six. So as I'm not, I don't want to do more than one show a day because I want people to listen to more Tory. So it's here. Hey man, um, hey man, brother. For sure. For sure. And, uh, if you want to get a hold of me, I'm at Ace Comics on Twitter or weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. But I think that's all we've got for you this week. We want to thank you so, so much for hanging out. We appreciate it more than words can say. Um, Till next time, we will uh, talk to you again real soon. See ya!